There was a lot of terrible lot of mud and silt. And, uh, you could see it creeping up all the time. And see, it's so low down there. And the factory was only on one level. But you see, Maribyrnong gets the river, the flats there, and they get submerged. But that may be because of the buildings on it. You know, the people are living more. And of course, there were um, munition works there at Maribyrnong. When you drive west along Dinan Road from the city of Melbourne, you are conscious of flat, marshy land littered with shipping container depots and rail yards. As you cross the Maribyrnong River, the road to Footscray rises suddenly up the higher western bank. You have now entered the Western Victorian Volcanic Plains. The plain is hard to appreciate here, as it is hidden under a variety of factories, car yards, church buildings, pubs and furniture stores. This bank of the Maribyrnong River marks the edge of the third largest basalt plain on Earth. About 400 late quaternary volcanoes are known within the region, which have been erupting intermittently for the last five million years. The volcanic plains have been quiet for thousands of years, it is not known why the volcanoes stopped, and some scientists believe that they are not extinct, but dormant. remember that I rode my bike up. They were wanting, they were wanting girls in the explosive factory, but it was all these little huts, you know, and each couple of girls did certain bits in these huts, and that was so that if there was an explosion, there'd only be one hut to go up instead of the whole thing. Outside was very oh, shabby, you could say. I think it was a corrugated iron building. And uh, as soon as you walked in the big door, you were hit by this smell of, what will I say, machinery, mostly oil, you know, all sort of factory smells, which I was not accustomed to. Away, well, therefore, it made it. That's why there was so many women up the munitions working on men's jobs, really. You know, they were doing men's jobs. 
worked at the First World's War about uh, in 1918 and I worked till the war was finished. Then I left work. Then I went back again in the, the Second World's War we and uh, work. I worked in the uh, percussion cap section at Gordon Street. Gordon Street and Ballarat Road and go behind Kinnear's factory along near the race and then down the hill and, and across the flats to the the factory was on the edge of the river near the, the race course. My fingers swelled up like sausages and went mm. purple and they used to break and used to have them have them wrapped up. Oh, mm. yeah. It was really cold, you know. There were these supposed to be some heat coming through these big things in the ceiling, but nothing ever happened right. properly. Then. Yeah. We had to um, leave the doors open of the buildings in case there was an explosion because that, that helped if anything blew, it blew out the doors. Well, in this case, some of these buildings were too small and they were blowing, any explosions would blow out the roof. Most of the windows were broken. The conditions were atrocious. It was cold, absolutely freezing in the winter. Dreadful old uniforms, they're absolutely unreal. You'd have to wear these awful caps. Well, I suppose to outsiders it would look more like a jail than <laughs> an ammunition factory. We weren't allowed to work in our ordinary clothes. We had to change into a, a sort of a surge uniform and we used to have to take the hairpins out of our hair, take our rings off. We weren't allowed to have any rings and we had to have a, a special pair of shoes with no uh, nails in the, in the uh, soles. And then we were allowed to walk into the area which was, was all like a duckboard raised off the ground and he was not allowed to go onto the earth anymore until he was going home. The volcanoes of the western Victorian plains were formed of lava flows from vents and fissures in its surface. About half of the volcanoes are small, steep-sided scoria cones built from frothy lava fragments thrown up by lava fountains. 
Most of the remainder are broader but flatter lava volcanoes, formed from relatively gentle flows of lava welling out of a central crater. Lava is a hot molten rock that can flow easily, rather like hot porridge. A solid crust forms quickly, but beneath this, liquid lava continues to flow. Variations in the pressure of the liquid core can push the crust up into mounds or recede to form hollows, producing a chaotic surface known as the stony rises. As the lava cools and loses gas, it becomes stiffer and may break up into sharp fragments. The lava of the western plains is formed of basalt, a dense, dark rock which may be solid but more usually has gas bubbles called vesicles embedded within it. In the detonator section where I began working was very small um, there were very small detonators and for men's clumsy hands it wasn't the type of thing that men would have you know worked on we were um, on this particular type of work because of our uh, sensitivity and women's sensitivity with their hands you know they had a slide and you'd have a scoop in a big box and scoop the work into the little box. You got used to it after a while, you, know, you picked it up nearly every one the same way, but if it was the wrong way you had to turn them around the right way and have them all the right way. And uh, you'd put them down a chute, they all fitted on the chute and you tried to keep that full. And um, it had a die on the machine here on the end and a punch and the shells. And then, then um, that, those trays were taken over to uh, special rooms. They took them and put them in uh, onto the machine behind a screen. And uh, they'd uh, have these special uh, receptacles with the powder in that they got from the way at the back and they tipped a bit on then you come from come behind the screen and rake that over and they would pick that up and put it into a little container and all the little rubber balls was all covered with crocheted silk then the mixer would mix it together and i'd put them in the little uh, powder bottles and they would be brought along on a trolley to the charging room and she would put the powder on the charging machine which consisted of two plates with holes and they just like top of the salt cellar and they would they'd be closed. You put the powder on the end of the charger and you assert them out and you know to put the bottle full and then they would come out of the room and look through a little glass panel and they would open the holes in the charger then she would take what we call a rake made out of beautiful plush velvet and they'd rake the powder up and down the, over these empty holes till every hole was full. Then she would go in and inspect them and see if the holes were all filled. If not, she'd come out and rake it again. But the boys, when the boys were doing it, they would use a little camel hair brush and perhaps push a little bit of powder into the hole, which would, that's how they'd get blown up. And then there were uh, 
a wad over, a cardboard wad over the top of that. Then there was a felt wad, and then uh, there was another cardboard wad, and then there was a shot, and then there used to be what they call um, a presser, I think it was, but it was a hand presser, and that was all pressed down. It always used to put me in my mind of a sort of a, a lawnmower, the way it come down. They used to bring around what they called the dough. That was a cordite in a powdery form, like dough. And we had to ram that into into cylinders, you know. One end of the section the steel cylinders, heavy things they were. You had to screw the lid on the top and lift it into the machine. That's all we, we didn't have any tools or anything. And then the press used to come down and press the and then we'd have a reel on the cordite used to run out like spaghetti on the, and you had on the reel. This was a large motor. This was the second largest, most dangerous job. When we screwed the lids on these things, there was a, a gauze uh, underneath. And we were supposed to, when we undone it, we were supposed to uh, clean the gauze like, you know, clean it off and put it back on the machine. Well, I mean, there was a young girl worked with me and she never did that. Well, she she used to just screw it on the top and put it back again. She could have blown us both to bits, see. Oh, yes, you had to be careful. You had to watch what you was doing. And you wasn't allowed to bang the gelatin knot against anything. You had to be careful because it was put in big trays and then you just had to lift it out and wrap it up, put it down, like put it in the boxes. And it wasn't dangerous if you watched what you was doing. It's just the same as if you're cooking or anything. Creation of any landscape is a result of conflict between two sets of natural forces which continuously act against each other. One force is volcanic activity, where interior earth forces uplift, fold and crack the surface of the land, forming new rocks or new landscapes from existing rocks. just got up and started off up to where my room was, where I was working. Right. And all of a sudden away it went and I ended up about half a mile But I don't think we stopped <laughs> laughing for months and months afterwards because the two of us went flying through the window. Ivy fell on the floor of the rain and I just fell on top of the stove. <laughs> Sometimes we'd go out into the paddock at the back 
call us all out and the boss would put one down and let it off and we'd all be very cautious for a day or two, terribly frightened say now you must use one at a time but then you get to use it taking two at a time okay. yeah well that was just that warning to use one detonator at a time right. but uh, since I left there there was a girl a woman that I knew she had part some three fingers and something with her eyes hurt with the explosion what was she doing oh I don't they said in the she was in the crimping room where, um, where we were put, and she must have had too many in her hands. Yes. <sighs> and I was away for a while, and the next thing, two of my mates were in another explosion, and they were both killed. Oh, we got over it. You yeah. know, you see it every day in the week mm -hmm. and it keeps on going on now. There's no stopping it. Mm -hmm. People get wild with somebody else and they'll grab a stick of jelly knife. Um, on the entire it. explosives factory here, there wasn't a day went by when we didn't have what you call a blow, blow uh, whether somebody was injured or whether it just uh, or something blew in the, in. I think the detonator section was used with the most highly dangerous areas. Powders had to be carried from various areas, buildings to other various buildings, and therefore it could have happened. Uh, if somebody dropped it, and did up, I think, um, on one or the other, she was severely injured. Um, you, you only had to jar something, uh, bump well, something. We found our biggest Well, whatever he did, it had to do with the naked jelly knife because we had to wrap it. Mm. And whatever he did was caused through the naked jelly knife. Well, I always said it was his fault. He had no right to be in the room at all because the bosses wasn't supposed to go into the rooms. Unless they put the full uniform on. Whereas they weren't allowed in the rooms, they didn't put their foot over the top of the board to go into the rooms. Because you worked with the powder, you know, and it was dangerous. One woman, I didn't know her, but the foreman should have had this particular area cleaned. They were very particular about this was happened in the filling room and it hadn't been cleaned for ages and she was told to clean it up and there was a terrible explosion. She lost her eyes and um, she was very badly burnt and, uh, you know, imagine losing your eyes and her hands. Yes, they were blown off and uh, I believe her face was very badly marked. And she was in what they call the CE section. And that was a powder that sort of discoloured you. you it, it would gradually wear off, but it made you go sort of yellowy. And the doors would be open, the bay doors, and we'd go, while the machine was working, we'd go out to get a breath of fresh air. That wake you up, you know. You See, I'll tell you this much. In this corridor and stuff, there was a lot of ether. It was full of ether. So that... Right, when it rained, the rain came through. Yeah. 
things like that. The lights would go out or something. Perhaps the machines, like if we were just having the storm, the machines might go off. We'd call out to one another from one end of the factory to the other and follow our voices to, to find one another while the machines were off. We'd walk up the hill at night, no lights anywhere because we weren't allowed to have lights, street lights or Citizens of Melbourne were already living in fear of invasion during World War II when the first of three women were found murdered in May 1942. About 15,000 American troops were based in the city and it was one of those soldiers, Private Eddie Leonsky, who would be exposed as a serial killer known as the Brownout Strangler. Leonsky's title came from the wartime practice of keeping lights low of an evening. The smiling psychopath, who violently silenced three women by strangulation, would be revealed to have had a twisted fascination with stealing female voices, especially in when they were singing. It was very safe then. It was in the time of the Leonsky murders, and everybody got, you know, kind of scared that this mm. to do these things to go out at night, and we had the blackout complete blackout where you had no street lights, no lights showing from any of the houses. One night I thought I was chased, it was during the Leonsky scare, and uh, I thought I was being chased by this ballet. And I think I had everyone in Ballarat Road running out. I had such a, <laughs> a loud scream. They wondered what was going on and it just turned out to be a fellow that I knew that was asking me to go to the pictures with him. He's on his bicycle, shouting at me. shoulder-riding the bike, but I think I'd I'd been Hoffman those days, riding my bike, you know, if anybody can follow me. Now, through all those blackout years, no one ever frightened me. But I can remember the night we were on afternoon shift, lined up all ready to come waiting for the whistle to blow and the night shift was coming in. There's been another girl murdered. There's been another girl murdered and we thought, oh, I've got to go home and walk in the dark. Mm. And that was Leonsky, as I said. Most of the Earth's landscapes are in the process of being worn down or built up from deposits of eroded rock. Rocks can be shattered by the physical forces, freezing water, continual cycles of wetting and drying, temperature changes, and by the growth of plant roots in cracks in the rocks. This material can be moved and then deposited elsewhere by gravity, water, ice and wind. Weathered materials form sedimentary rocks if they are left undisturbed for a very long time. At times of earth movement, 
such as uplifting along fault lines. These sedimentary rocks are exposed to denudation processes and will eventually be destroyed and reformed again. She used to come over and she wore, it's funny, she used to wear a red or a maroon coat. And I think everybody started singing when the red, red robin comes up. <laughs> when she comes, so that you, you weren't supposed to be calling out or anything. Right. You mentioned the singing before. Was there much singing? Yes, we used to sing. Right. We used to, so we were happy enough. Yes. Yeah. What sort of songs? Oh, gee, don't ask me. I've forgotten all. Probably the war songs that was out. Right. Um, oh, there used to be lots of funny little incidents, you know, that, but I can't remember them now, but we always had a laugh, you know, something's always going on, otherwise you'd go crazy from boredom mm. doing the same job, you know. My neighbour today, there was this uh, Alvy, I don't remember her surname, and she was frightening the moths. And of course, I went out and I had this little um, sort of sweet bag, and all the moths were on the side of the wall, you know, all clenched on. So I took back all these moths and put them in. I said, Here, Alvy, here's one of your boyfriends, sent you some lollies, and she opened it. And I've never seen anybody go so hysterical. I didn't realise she was so frightened. Up went the bag and the moths went everywhere. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there was little antidotes like that, you know, that happened. That you, you really can't sort of think at the top of your head at times, you know. But there were, there were times when uh, I was very naughty because I wasn't supposed to be working in any factory work. I was there to inspect it. And when they get behind, because I did so much of their work and I had a reputation for tossing it out and being so accurate, um, uh, I feel sorry for them and go and sit at the machine and help them put some stuff through. <laughs> and somebody would <laughs> play cockatoo in case we called knit at the door and say, one of my superiors was becoming along. So I'd um, get off the machine and go back and stand there looking very innocent and examining some more dead nose. Uh, that was just one of the naughty things I used to do. I guess that's probably why I became so friendly with the factory workers. <laughs> to a uh, little bit of trouble by joining the munitions factory, explosives factory, I should say, um, football, girls' football team, because there was only one other army inspector and I joined that and I was um, reprimanded for fraternising, as it was called, and uh, I just went ahead and fraternised. So <laughs> I guess, uh, you know... Uh, 
they got the used to me. You had to go in the men's canteen at night. That was the only one open. And uh, the men in front of me were get, uh, queuing up for the dinners, getting knife and fork, and I was refused one. Oh, was that because yes. you were a woman? Wasn't it? Oh. Never forgot that. Yeah. First, bring your own knife and fork, you know. I said, well, how did they get theirs? Isn't that strange? Yeah. I had been uh, reported. He was the foreman at the time. And he reported me for staying outside for 20 minutes, which probably was right. And I gave, I, I abused him when I found out who had reported me. And you were sent up for punishment, or if you were going to be sacked, you were sent up to what they called the packing room, which was a tiny little room, and you had to go upstairs. It was like a little tower, and wait for Miss McLaren. I was absolutely petrified. I didn't want to get sacked. I liked being there. I didn't want to lose my workmates and all. I hadn't slept all night with worry. And at 10 o'clock, sure enough, she walked down the aisle and uh, I thought, well, here it comes now. And she said, uh, well, we are opening up a new section, the nine millimetre section. We've decided to make you the overlooker. The girls were all standing there. Did you get the sack? I said, no, I've been promoted. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. They needed the union, really, and they should have, you know, that um, you, like both sides knew where you were going and you could negotiate mm. instead of just sort of perhaps attacking one person that was... Um, like I was, that rebelled against a certain thing which I felt wasn't right, and you had no recall to any anyone, you know, it was just you. Um, and some of this very dirty work and, and some of these machines that weren't safe enough, like, you know, I was lucky I could have not bit, I got my finger knocked off, and all that type of thing. Um, Actually, the union was... Um active on our part a lot because at the time we didn't have anything to go out in the rain with and we used to get mighty wet because we used to have to take the trolleys a long way and um, this particular time the men down the tool room said to us well next time it rains if it's not raining you must go out but as soon as this you go out the door and it rains stop and go and strike because it's the only way you're going to get anything uh, waterproof to come down because we used to literally get soaked and I was there when the big floods came up and the whole place was practically submerged in a very big flood but we were working till the last minute till you could see the water coming up because they were all, we were all working to get everything up so to see if you could save something Oh no, there was a lot of terrible lot of mud and silt. And, uh, you could see it creeping up all the time. The basalt of the volcanic plains has been quarried and used in the construction of the buildings, roads, railways, bridges and fences that have shaped the landscape of Melbourne. Thousands of years before this, Indigenous Australians used the stone to build dwellings, eel and fish traps. Rocks were heated by lighting fires near rock outcrops and then pouring water on the hot rocks to cause them to crack, 
enabling them to be prized away along their natural fissures. European quarries used more explosive processes, where holes were drilled into the basalt with long steel bars and stuffed with explosives, blasting hundreds of tonnes of rock at a time. Originally the explosive used was black powder, but this was later replaced with dynamite, then gelignite. Gelignite was inserted into a series of holes up to 25 feet deep, and when exploded, created cavities in the rock, a process known as bullying. <laughs>